You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. John chapter number nine. I'm going to read just a couple verses of scripture, but this entire chapter encompasses a powerful story and a powerful message. We can't exhaust it all today, and so I'm just going to lift one thing, if I can, on uh, this Sunday morning. Let's go to verse number 24. And here we have a man who was blind. Christ has healed him. The Pharisees were angered about it. And so they call the parents and they said, who did this? What's going on? They've healed him on the Sabbath day. The parents say, we don't know. We don't know what's happened. They, they were afraid. They didn't want to answer. And they said, you talk to him. You talk to our son. You talk to this man. And so they They came to him in verse 22, and it says that they were afraid. And then in verse 23, therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Talk to him. They didn't want to get in trouble, and so they talked to him. And then in verse uh, 24, then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, give God the praise We know that this man is a sinner. Speaking about Jesus. So the Pharisees said, look, he's healed you on the Sabbath day. He's a sinner, but you need to give God the praise. They they didn't realize what they were requiring had already happened. It was God that had done the work. And then look at verse 25. Then answered and said, this is the blind man. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no. I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I want to preach to you, if I can, this morning, the indisputable answer. The indisputable answer. Would you lay your Bibles down and let's ask God to anoint His Word to our hearts today. God, I thank You for Your Spirit, and I thank You for the blessing, God, of life and promise that you have given to us. But you know today every need, every circumstance that's represented in this house. And we ask right now in the name of Jesus, by your spirit, that you would have your way in this place this morning in Jesus' name. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. What a powerful passage of Scripture. And what an incredible story that we have here in John chapter number 9. This chapter tells the entirety of an episode where Jesus encounters a man that was blind. And at the beginning of the chapter, you can read through here, the disciples ask him this. They said, who hath sinned? this man or his parents. They had an understanding in their theology that every single thing that was bad in this earth, in this life, came about as a result of the fall of man, as a result of sin. That there is nothing that is bad in this life that God intended to take place. It is not God's intention, intent that the world be in the chaos that it is in. 
But they made the mistake of necessarily asking why when something bad happens to the individual, of expecting that it was the sole result of the choice that that individual makes. Now, the case is made that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That every single one of us are in need of a Savior in our life and in need of redemption in our life. But there are bad things that happen as the result of the fall, as the result of sin being in the world that will happen to you and I and to others that will not necessarily be the result of our own failures and our own rebellions and our own sin against God. They had misjudged. They had gone around and they would look at people in their misery and they would say the reason why someone is dealing with that is because they must have been a bad sinner. And instead of focusing on the answer to sin, instead of taking that answer and running to the world with it, the religion of that day had sought to justify itself and look at somebody else and say, well, the reason why they're poor or the reason why they're diseased or the reason why they're afflicted is because they must have horrible sin in their life. And what it did was it eased their own conscience from trying to help somebody else. It was counterproductive to exactly the thing that Christ would do because Christ would come knowing every sin that every person that, that, that had ever been around would commit and yet in spite of that sin, he would seek to save them. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that when I approach the altar of mercy... Hallelujah. I'm not coming in fear of what I've done, but I come with boldness knowing, yes, I've sinned, but there is a God that is waiting and ready to remedy and to heal and to restore. We ought to clap our hands and thank God for his grace and his mercy today. So they said, who has sinned? And the Lord answers and said, neither this man hath sinned nor his parents. Now, he wasn't saying that they had not sinned, but he was saying in the sense it was not their sin that caused him to be born blind. It was just chaos. Death enters into the world. Why? Why? Today, we, we, would, be, we would be a gross uh, uh, misled or perversion of truth if we would look around at people and say, well, the reason why you have cancer is because you have sin, or the reason why you have this is because you have sin, or the reason why you have that. No. That, that was not what Christ was saying here. He was saying they have not, yes, they may have sin in their life, but it is not their sin that has brought that about upon them. But then he says something very powerful. He says in verse number three, but that the works, somebody say the works, the works of God should be made manifest in him. Put that up there. John chapter 9 verse 3. That the works of God may be manifest in him. And so he says, I know that this has happened. I know that this has gone on. But, but I have come that there be a work that is manifest in him. Now this is God taking the worst 
of circumstances and using it for the best of possibility. This, this right here is the indisputable answer. That the works of God be made manifest in him. And of course he goes on and he comes to him and the story says that the Lord uh, uh, spits into the ground and he makes clay and he puts the clay upon his eyes and tells him go wash in the pool of Shiloh, uh, Siloam and he goes and he washes and when he washes his eyes he then is made uh, uh, able to see and he goes praising God. He's excited, he's rejoicing and the Pharisees who sat around not to help people but to critique people and their religiosity said, oh, it's a Sabbath day. He is a sinner. He should not have healed on the Sabbath day. And they get into this crazy argument which we as humanity often tend to do. We start arguing about the things that don't matter. Hey, the man was blind and now he's healed. And instead of rejoicing in what has happened, they have to nitpick at it and say, this should have never happened on the Sabbath day. This is a horrible thing. And he goes on and they come to the parents and they start in, in, uh, uh, questioning the parents. And so the parents get in this challenge place where they don't know what to do. They're afraid for their life. And so they pass the buck and say, our son's of age, go ask him. Now, now here we are at verse 25, where the blind man now responds. And, and there's so much theology and so much good teaching and ideals and doctrines that God that is trying to speak to us through John, who would write this gospel at the end of his life, after the others are written, and he's telling us so much in this story. We can't exhaust it all this morning. But wow, just verse 25 is now going to revolutionize everything. Now, I am a reasonable person. In fact, we all are reasonable people. God created us, not just flesh and bone, not just, not just material matter come together, but God makes us a people of reason. And so we rationalize everything out. We analyze things and we try to make sense of all things. And the reason why we do that is because God created the universe and the universe has form and it has order. He, he spoke in that creative order. There is a form. There is a fashion. That, that is why science can progress. Because there is a unified form that we can look at. And if this is this and that is that and this is what happens here, then we know that this can work here. So everything we do in technology and science and medicine is all based upon absolutes. And upon form and upon order. We, we cannot take it and say, well, it, it works this way here, but over here it's something else. No, there are these absolutes, these, orms, uh, these forms, these order, and there's reason. It's reasonable. We can reason it out. And so with that, we can add to the technologies that have already been uh, uh, built, and we can add on to those, and we can succeed. And so uh, uh, we, we think in logical form. Now, some people are more reasonable than other people. Can I get an amen? amen? But all people reason or try to make sense of things. It's just that some people don't worry about certain things and they don't care about that. And so they reason what they want to reason, but they don't reason. I am 
a reasonable person. I will confess that it is a fault or a flaw because I am extremely reasonable. I'm putting it politely because I'm trying to help my pride. But I am analytical. I, I will research something. My wife will say, hey, you know, we need this or we need that. And, and I first start online. What is the best of this or that? And you can't just go buy something, you know. You try to figure it out. Or anybody else. I, I, I love it when I'm going through the grocery store and I see somebody standing there. And they're looking at, okay, I know how much this costs, but how much is it per piece? <laughs> anybody else know what I'm talking about? And you say, I know this might be cheaper, but you know, if I buy a year's supply... This is all of a sudden is much cheaper. And you reason all these things out. And what's the best? I, I don't just want the cheapest because it's the cheapest. I want what's going to last the greatest. I am the kind of people that keep consumer reports in business. I, I, I can't just take something. You can't just tell me something and me accept it. I've got to say, okay, why is this happening? All these things. I've got to reason all these things out. And I confess it is a flaw. It is a fault of mine that sometimes keeps me uh, uh, too, too hindered, not getting things accomplished, but trying to reason everything out. But I, I do this also in life. And, and I know that other people do the same as well. At some point in your life, every person, probably every person in this room, uh, uh, at some point in your life, whether it happened in elementary school or high school or college or when you got married or when you had children or later on in your life, you have thought and pondered what is the purpose of life or what is the point of life. What is the purpose of me doing this? What is the point of me doing this? And I, I can't tell you how many people. It happens a lot of times in the, in the halls of academia and high school and college where kids start seeing things and young people start becoming adults and they start trying to challenge, well, I don't want to do this, so why do I have to do this? And then, and then they grow and they realize, okay, well, maybe this is, there's a reason why and all of these things. And we rationalize everything out and we reason everything out. But the problem is, is that too often we get stuck in the cycle of endless questions. And, and philosophy literally has no answer. If you study philosophy, there is no answer. It is just a continuum of questions. And with every answer follows another question or two or three. And so this constantly just keeps going. And so for somebody like me, it is so frustrating. Because there's no end to the question. It's just more Things. And so I, I have a personal habit, and I hope I'm not boring you this morning, but I have a personal habit. I, I, I want to know about life. I, and so that's probably maybe, maybe my inquisition or my failures is what's driven me into this thing of religion and ideas and theology and, and even into history. My interest is there because why did certain things happen? Somebody made a, made a statement I read the other, the other day, and it was, if we forget history, we will lose both of our eyes. Talking about how when we forget what's happened, we're, we're doomed to repeat everything again, and there's a reason why things happen. And, and 
And so I'm intrigued by that because when I look at that, there's answer in that or it leads you to a point where you've got to make a choice. And at the end of the day, I have realized and understood through reason and through logic and through profound understanding and sometimes profound simplicity that God is the only answer. And I, have a, I have a library that testifies to the agnostic and to the atheist and to the people that have asked the questions. I don't know how many volumes I have of men that started out, men and women that started out trying to rationalize out the universe, denying the existence of God. And when they come to the conclusion, they end up saying, hey, I had to write this book to tell you that I found God on my quest. He's the only answer. He's the only way that this all makes sense. So you, you've got all kinds of, I mean, if you just think through logic and through reason, it, it is not reasonable to be an atheist. Because to be an atheist is to claim that there is no God anywhere in the universe. And the reason why that's not reasonable is because the only way you can make that statement is you have to have all knowledge of time, matter, and space. And unless you possess all knowledge of time, matter, and space, and beyond time, matter, and space, you cannot declare there is no God. But if you do have all knowledge of time, matter, and space, and all knowledge beyond time, matter, and space, guess what? That in itself will make you God. And there is a God that has declared, I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. He answers all things and he gives. But, but in our finite mind, we don't like that. So sometimes we push against that. I don't, I don't like what God's saying. I don't like what's God doing. And so we fall into the trap of, of asking the endless questions. And, and just like the Pharisees had done. They, they wanted to have the benefit of being God's people without being God's people. And so when they saw somebody that was sick, instead of going to them and ministering to them and helping them and lifting them up, they looked at them and said, oh, they're that way because of their sin. And they found a way to unhitch themselves, hear me, unhitch themselves from the healing, redemptive, creative work of God in the world. And they, they exalted themselves in their own religiosity. And Jesus came saying, no, this man is blind, not because of what he's done or what his parents have done but he is blind so that God can be made manifest in him hallelujah so follow follow me for a minute so in all the rationale and all the reason you try to make sense of this and here's the thing I, I've dedicated my life now to this, to studying this. I've, I, it's my hobby. It's my passion. It, it possesses me. It, it drives me. It, it is, it's, it's what I do. I, I like to understand things. I, I, I pay attention. It's my personal interest. I don't think everybody has to do this, but I, I, I immerse myself in history and ideals, and, and I'm an amateur at all of this in, 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 in scope, really. But, but uh, I just finished an incredible book. I recommend it. It's in the uh, bulletin. Uh, today, I just finished an incredible book, probably one of the top 10 books, I would say, of all time in my life that have really articulated where we're at 
in the world today. And that's How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. And he has a, a complimentary or a companion DVD video series. You can watch it free on Amazon Prime. I'd recommend the time. It's worth it. And uh, it, it builds up. You cannot uh, just start it and not finish it because it builds to that conclusion. But wow, he comes to the end. and It's so good. It's so incredible. Uh, he was a doctor of philosophy. And uh, uh, just, just an incredible thing. Uh, but, but in studying all of these, there's always, it doesn't matter what book has been written, it doesn't matter what answer has been given, it doesn't matter what question has been answered, there is always another question. And they always, the critics always come up with another question. And the people that are not wanting to receive God in their life are always going to ask another question. The world that is not ready to displace their throne and set the Lord on the throne of their life is always going to come up with another question to delay. Hear me today. To delay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does anybody remember... Have you ever run away from God or you ever been not where you should be with the Lord and the Lord's drawing on you? I know some of us, maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've forgotten where it was, but you can remember, hey, I'm not where I need to be. And then you come to church and it's like everybody, you've got a target on your back. It's like, man, the, the song leader singing every song. It's like they're singing right to me. Come on. The preacher gets up and they're like they're preaching just to me. And you, you leave, I'm not going back to that church. All they, they preached at me. No, it wasn't anybody preaching at you. You just, you're feeling something and it's the Lord drawing on your life. And so you have to come up with something else to sort of ease your conscience and displace it. And so you just ask another question or you bring up some little thing and say, well, you know, I, if, if this is real, you know. And we keep ourselves at distance with God. The world is always going to ask another question. The world is always going to try to come up with some technicality that justifies themselves, just as the Pharisees did. And so here this man, God has been manifest in him. He was blind and now he can see. This is an incredible testimony. John said, never in the history of the world has any religion produced any witch or any magic or any potion or any miracle where a blind eye has been made to see. This stands alone, he's saying, and unique with the hand of God. And so this miracle takes place, but all the Pharisees can say is, wait a minute, they, he, he healed them on the wrong day. Come on. Well, I can't follow that man's sermon because he healed him on the wrong day. He didn't do that. And so they come to the man. They're looking. They're looking. They are on, if you will, the proverbial witch hunt. They are looking for something. And they go to the parents. And the parents sort of shy away and say, look, don't come of us. He, he's old enough. And they throw their son under the bus. Go ask him. And so they come over to the man. And here is what he says. He said, whether or not... <laughs> He is a sinner. I do not know. But one thing I know. I was blind. When I got up this morning, I could not see. When I started my day, I could not see. But now I can see. So here's, here's what it was. It was the work of God made manifest 
in him. You know what God does? He bypasses the reasonable. He bypasses the philosophy. He bypasses the theology. He bypasses every question. And so here today I'm preaching the indisputable answer. When you can't make sense of every question that man has, when you can't answer every challenge that man presents, to every philosophy that man thinks, to every theology that man creates to every skeptic, to every cynic, to every critic, to every agnostic, and to every atheist. You may present a question I can't answer, but this one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. He was not looking for a doctor that could come and give him a lecture. What he was looking for was God to work inside of his life. Can I tell you, the church cannot become a lecture hall of ideas. Yes, we preach the word, but there has got to be the testimony of God manifest in us. Your testimony is the indisputable proof. Your testimony is the indisputable proof to God at work inside of your life. For when I get lost in the weary cycle of endless questions and deep theologies and strained doctrines and ancient philosophies, all I know is that I can get up in the morning and pray a simple prayer to a God I've never seen. And I can feel a presence that I cannot explain. And there is a deity somewhere beyond the universe that comes down and answers me. My Disputable testimony or answer today is this. I was blind, but now I see. Our testimony is the answer. Amen. To every question, to every idea that the world is presenting and the world is propping up. It fills us every day. We are not kept from the barrage of the world's ideas. Hear me this morning. We are in trying times, dangerous times, because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Slowly it's eroding, slowly it's falling off. We look throughout our civilization, our society, the global world is taking steps so swiftly that are moving us to the natural conclusions of the human mind. They have written about it for hundreds of years. It's being implemented even now. It's not even camouflaged. It's so blatant. It's so open. The world's elites are now acknowledging that they are elite and they think that other, the rest of us are not and they alone should be the ones that make the choices for humanity. This 
is happening right before our very eyes. And we've got to be careful that as the church that we are not distracted by personal peace and affluence. That we are not just tucked away in our own because something is happening in this world. And we are called to be a trumpeter. To be a sound. Amen. A certain sound in these evil days. And so I speak today in boldness and in love that the answer to the world's problems is not politics. It is not governments of men. It is not intellect. It is not a man. The arrogance of all the answers that the world has presented. But the answer to the world's problems is summed up in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is an exclusive answer. And make no mistake, I am not saying that there is room for all religions, for all religions have good in them. I am saying that there is only one way that leads to life everlasting. There is only one truth. There is only one saving name. There is only one God that can restore and that can can heal the broken hearts of humanity. Men in their attempts, in their futile attempts, have tried tirelessly. They have put their best attempts, but our best attempts without God are still doomed to failure. This is what's taking place in John chapter number 9. When the man comes to the question of is this truth or not? Is Jesus Who he says he is. Or is he a sinner? Is he a rebel? His indisputable answer was this. Not yet knowing. The revelation of the mighty God in Christ. He says this I know. I was blind. But now I see. Knowledge is, is required. It's a must. We talked about it at length. Different times in the Word of God, the knowledge of the revelation of God. In fact, we would be mistaken if we took this passage of Scripture, lifted it out of its context, and did not make this disclaimer because you must note at the end of the story, Jesus comes back to this same man and he says, I am He. He reveals himself as Messiah. He reveals himself as the mighty God in Christ. He reveals himself as the answer. So we cannot say that revelation or knowledge of God does not matter because when the man said, I know not, Christ came to say, okay, you said you don't know, but now I am going to show you. And he gives to him this revelation and he gives to him this knowledge. Which shows us that this was God's heart also. And this was God's passion. It is not God's purpose that we be left in a questionable state. That we have to go through with questions unanswered. We don't check our brain at the door when we come in to live for God. No, God says that's not. God is a reasonable God. He's a God that created us. And He has reasonable answers. But the point is this. That the indisputable answer when you don't have all the answers yet is the testimony of God inside of your life. You hear me talk about it often and I will will never cease. As As long as I live, I pray I will never cease to reference the testimony of me and my family. 
See, I was raised in church, and I thank God for that. Thank God that I was raised on a pew. I know what it's like to use a songbook for a pillow and dad's suit coat for a blanket under a pew on a cold concrete terrazzo floor. That's how I grew up. I, I understand all of that stuff. But at some point, I had the same questions. Why are they praying like this? Why are they worshiping like this? Why are they doing this? And you grow up and you ask all those questions. Most of those questions have been answered. I'm not saying that I don't still yet have questions. There are questions. There are some things I may never know. And the song says we'll understand it better by and by. I get that. And there, there will be questions. I'm a list person and I've got a list. When I get to heaven, I may ask the Lord for some time. I don't have it all figured out. There's been a lot of questions that have been answered in my understanding and in my endeavors by the word of God, the simple truth of God. But stronger than the answered questions and the reason, I possess something more. I possess a testimony. Testimony that can look a question in the eye and say, I don't know why this is happening right now. And I can't make sense of this. I can't make sense of this sickness. Or I can't make sense of this financial trouble. Or I can't make sense of this affliction. Or I can't make sense of this barrier or this wall that seems to rise in my life. But one thing I know is that I was lost, but now I'm found. One thing I know is I know where God saved me from. I know where God brought me out of. I know where God reached down. And as I testify, my family came out of the gutters. My family came out of the gutters. My family was saved, amen, from a long way off. And if God could save me, he can save anyone. And this does not make sense when I look back. Why did God save the alcoholic and the abuser? Why did God save the one, amen, that had all of these. Why did God reach down? And I can tell you, society has never proved an answer that answers the problems that God solved in one prayer meeting for my family where God changed their life. This I know. Whereas I was blind, now I see it's with this resolve. Not knowing the answer to every question that I can stand and sing. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see so you can throw me your books and you can throw me your questions but I must testify that the Lord found me and the Lord saved me and the Lord redeemed me and the Lord cleansed me and the Lord changed me I'm not what I used to be. I'm changed. I've been set free. There's joy in my life. There's peace in my soul. There's a song in my spirit. And there's a shout in my feet. He has changed me. You see, knowledge without testimony is futile. Because head knowledge is not just enough. You've got to have a testimony. There's got to be a witness of that knowledge inside of your life. 
It's with that that we go to Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 10. And there he's looking at those that have been redeemed. And he says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. You see, they did not go to the death. They did not go unknowing. They did not go uncertain. They may have had unanswered questions, but there was a certainty in their heart that if God saved me from that. He can take me through this. He can keep me through whatever's going to happen inside of my life. The indisputable answer is your testimony. God is a God of humor. God is a God that likes to play with sometimes our mind. Things always don't make sense. When God created the world, and I'm coming to a close as they come to the music. When God created the world, it was without form. The Bible says he spoke order and he spoke form into the universe. When he created, there was this order and this form. He put man in the garden and wow. You read about the Garden of Eden, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? But then sin came, separated man from that utopia and It separated man from God. There's this dissonance. And from that sin entered death. The beginning of the process of decay. Until that point there was no death. There there was no degeneration of the molecular system in the world. Wow. Sin brought death. And so now it's the second law. Thermodynamics, everything tends to chaos. Nothing is sustained by itself, but there is an amount of energy that is winding down. The universe scientifically, literally, is winding down. It's reasonable now, but it wasn't reasonable then. Because when God created the world, he did not create the world to die. Think about this. He created the world to live. That was reasonable because he sustained it. But when sin came in, sin took that which God purposed. The reasonable sustaining of life everlasting and sin decayed it. And there became a new normal. And what was reasonable then is unreasonable now. Because everything in the world we live in, we're subjected to, tends to chaos. It's winding down. I'm winding down. You're winding down. We are in a universe that winds down. That is now our normal and our reasonable. But God is greater. And so when God changes our normal and our reasonable, it sounds unreasonable. It sounds abnormal. So what God is saying is to those of us that are winding down in chaos and death. He's saying, I want to give you a new normal. 
I came that man might have life and life more abundantly. And what is reasonable in the flesh now, the spirit comes and says, no, that's not reasonable. I'm going to bring you something that you think is unreasonable. Life everlasting. And so now when God works, it doesn't always make sense. Because the reasonable says the blind man can never be healed. But God says no. And he changes the blind and he makes him see. You cannot explain that scientifically. You cannot explain that scientifically. But that's the God that we serve. We've been praying for Piper Williams, five years old, cancer. And the doctors told her, you're going to have to do surgery. Told her parents, you're going to have to do surgery. And the choice is either she can use the restroom on her own for the rest of her life or she can walk. So whatever's going to happen, there's going to be loss in this surgery. And they were just trying to kill the tumor so they could remove it to do the surgery. But somebody's been praying. And the doctors said, we don't understand it because the tumor that doesn't shrink has shrunk. See, that's a God saying, what you think is reasonable, God said, I'll show you unreasonable. And if God can do that in the physical, you know what that means? That means to the drug addict. That means to the depressed. That means to the despair that says there's no way out. God says, uh-uh. I'll give you peace that passes all understanding. I'll give you joy. God's not trying to do something unreasonable in your life. God's trying to rewrite your future. God's trying to remove the chaos and bring life back into it. <laughs> so you want proof of God? I'm not going to give you a lecture. You want proof of God? I'm not going to give you some apologetic answer. Oh, I could today, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand with that man in John chapter 9 and just say this. Once I was blind, but now I see. (laughs) Once I was lost, but now I see. You see, you don't know where God found me. He found us in the gutters, broken homes, broken marriages, dysfunctional families, children in orphanages. But God started filling them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the Spirit entered into my ancestry, all of a sudden the the sin started falling away and the marriages started working back together and there was blessing that came. That's my testimony. Stand together with me this morning. Come on, be not deceived when you pull into the parking lot and you see some fancy cars and fancy clothes. No, where would we be if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side? You got to have a testimony inside of your life. Testimony inside of your life. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. I feel the Spirit of God here. Would you bow your heads? Would you join with me in prayer right now, Lord, in Jesus' name? To every question, God, that life has brought in our hearts, I pray today, God, let the power of your witness be made manifest in me. Hallelujah. Let it be made manifest in us as individuals, God. Let it not be somebody else's testimony, but let it become my testimony. Let it not be somebody else's truth, but let it be my truth in my life. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can I tell you, God wants to work Himself in your life today. 
You say, well, it doesn't make sense. That's all right. It doesn't have to make sense. But God wants to redeem. God wants to heal. God wants to deliver. God wants to set free. I'm going to challenge you this morning, if that's you, and say, hey, God, I need you today. I want you to join me at an altar. I need you today. It's not just enough for the blind men to have the testimony. It's not just enough for the pastor to have the testimony. Every single one of us, we need the testimony in us. You need a testimony. You need the indisputable proof so when you lay your head on the pillow in the dark of night and you're wondering who's got you tomorrow, you can say, hey, I'm not going to fear because I know that the Lord goes before me. Indisputable answer, the testimony of God's grace and mercy. Come on, would you join me at an altar this morning?